Hello and welcome to the Licensed to Queer podcast, where we're on a mission to uncover why James Bond appeals so much to LGBTQ plus people. Why not see 007 from a different angle? Hi everyone, this podcast is a reading of an article on the Licensed to Queer website. So I know some people prefer the podcast, some people prefer the articles. Could I suppose listen to the podcast while looking at the article? Because there's quite a few images from the films and our own experiences. Because this is about my husband and I going to Edinburgh from our home in the West Midlands on a sleeper train. We've been on a sleeper train a couple of times before, uh, once in the UK and once in the USA. Um, and we use that kind of experience here to um, talk about all the occasions Bond has been on the sleeper train, which, unless I've missed one, is seven occasions, twice in the novels and five times in the films. So there's something really, really Bondian about a sleeper train, I think. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the article. From the Sleeper Train with Love Written and read by David Lobrigellis It has never made logical sense for Bond to choose a train over a plane. But that hasn't stopped the 007 series making sleeper trains synonymous with romance and excitement. Why fly when you can travel by rail? We didn't plan to take the train. The sad collapse of our favourite budget airline just weeks before our trip to Edinburgh meant flight was no longer a possibility. We were left with a quandary. Cancel the whole trip or find another way to get there. Driving to Edinburgh from the West Midlands would take up to around six hours. Six hours might not seem like a lot to some. Some of our American friends would not consider six hours especially onerous. But neither of us really enjoys driving, especially over any distance. We considered taking a train, but it would take us over four hours to get there, and for reasons that weren't clear, maintenance works, six hours back. And with many train services becoming notoriously unreliable at the moment, we thought better of it. But then, my husband reminded me that we had always wanted to try the Caledonian Sleeper, which runs from London Euston to Edinburgh. We'd been on sleeper trains twice before. The first time on our honeymoon back in 2015 when we took the Amtrak Sunset Limited service from New Orleans to Los Angeles. It was a glorious 48 hours, 24 of which were spent clickety-clacking our way across the truly epic Texas, during which we discovered that it's not only possible to sleep on a train, but it's also very easy to do so, the gentle undulations lulling you into slumber. Our next sleeper experience was back in the UK, from London Paddington to Penzance, at the end of Cornwall. We enjoyed the experience immensely, although perhaps because the train was travelling quite fast through the night on windy tracks along the coast, sleep was not so easy to come by, at least for my husband, who had chosen the top bunk. Wary of this, before we booked tickets on the UK's other sleeper train, the Caledonian Sleeper, Anthony insisted he go on the bottom bunk this time, closer to the centre of gravity. I exceeded, too excited to argue, and went ahead and booked us in.
At around twice the price of budget airline tickets for a classic room, the Caledonian sleeper service is not, on the surface of it, cheap. But the benefits are legion. For a start, you don't have to use an airport, which I always view as a necessary evil of long-distance travel. Secondly, you can feel virtuous, knowing your carbon footprint is infinitesimal when you use a train compared with using a plane. Furthermore, you not only save the planet, but, potentially, your own money. Although the sleeper tickets are not cheap, travelling through the night means you don't have to fork out for as many nights in a hotel. We had two full days in Edinburgh and only had to pay for one hotel room one night compared with two or three if we had flown. Incidentally, there is another sleeper option which is only a fraction of the price of a room, a sleeper seat. On the other side of the price range there are larger bedrooms which were beyond the scope of our wallets. Going with the classic room option rather than book multiple nights in a hotel essentially enabled us to break even. Well, that's how I'm thinking of it anyway. To be honest, it was worth paying a bit more than we would have had to if we'd flown because, and this is the deal breaker, we got to spend the night on a train. There's something incredibly alluring about a sleeper train. This, despite the fact that in the Bond series, sleeper trains are the locations of some of 007's most violent encounters. There's the combat at close quarters with Red Grant in From Russia With Love. Then there's the showdown with Teehee's metal claw in Live and Let Die. Poor Teehee is not the only villain to end up being defenestrated by Bond. Metal Mouth Jaws gets thrown from the train in a similar fashion in The Spy Who Loved Me. Inspector, Mr Hinks smashes up the whole of the restaurant car before Bond and Madeline get him over a barrel. Perhaps it's because the fighting is so circumscribed by the environment, a train never being that large, even in countries with rails and therefore carriages wider than those in the UK, that these encounters are so visceral. Being in close proximity also helps fuel romantic and or sexual attraction. In each film where Bond boards a night train, he does so with a woman. Tatiana and Bond escape Istanbul on the Orient Express. Like all of the train journeys in Bond, this makes next to no logical sense. Why not fly instead, thereby reaching safety a heck of a lot more quickly? In the novel of From Russia With Love, using the train is called out by Bond himself as being preposterous. Why, he asked Tatiana, should they make themselves an easy target for four or five days on a train? Her point-blank refusal to go to London by plane, something her smirsh handlers have insisted cannot happen, is all Bond needs to hear in order to acquiesce. One can almost see Fleming telling the reader, just go with it, folks. The rest of the book will be much more exciting if the characters go by train. And he's right, of course. Fleming was hardly the first writer to realise the dramatic potential of overnight train travel. He was drawing on a rich tradition, established by writers like Graham Greene, who published an Orient Express set thriller, Stamboul Train, in 1932. Two years later, it was adapted for the screen. Also, in 1934, Agatha Christie published what was to become the most famous train set story of all, Murder on the Orient Express, although this was not her first or last mystery to be set on rails. All of these stories share a message. It's not the destination that counts. It's what happens along the way. The other Bond novel to feature a sleeper train journey is Live and Let Die in which Fleming tells us, quote, 
Bond loved trains and he looked forward with excitement to the rest of the journey. End quote. When I read this for the first time as a train-loving youth, this reinforced the kinship I felt with Bond. Another thing we had in common. Nothing of particularly dramatic note happens during the train journey in the novel of Limnet Die. Bond and Solitaire merely use it as a way of getting from point A to point B and spend the time getting to know each other. This sequence in the first half of the novel was omitted when this title was very loosely adapted into a film. Bond and Solitaire do board a train right at the end of the Live and Let Die film, though, with Felix expressing his, and perhaps the audience's, incomprehension at their choice of transportation method. Quote, I still don't see why you want to travel this way. What the hell can the two of you do on the train for 16 hours? The looks on Roger's and Jane's faces tell us all we need to know. Roger was the only Bond, until Daniel Craig, to ride the rails overnight twice. The Spy Who Loved Me sleeper train sequence doesn't even attempt to disguise its raison d'etre. It's purely there to get the British and Russian agents into bed for a spot of détente. Having Jaws interrupt gives them the excuse they need to share a compartment. It's only when you stop to consider how long it would take to travel the 2,000 plus miles from Egypt to Sardinia that you realise how contrived the whole thing is. The train sequence in Spectre is very similar to The Spy Who Loved Me's, even down to Bond and this film's girl, Madeleine Swan, being unable to take their hands off each other after fending off an attack. There's a semi-feasible reason for them to take the train. Their destination is somewhere in the middle of the desert, away from large settlements. But it's still flimsy, and really, the filmmakers have them travel by rail to recall to our memories an earlier scene in the Daniel Craig era, when Bond meets Vesper for the first time. The Casino Royale sleeper train scene is perhaps the most inexplicable of all, from a story logic point of view. A blink and you'll miss it station sign shows them to be travelling through Switzerland, over 600 miles from Montenegro. There's no rational reason for them to take the train, considering that Bond has, in the previous scene, been shown to be in the Bahamas, and Vesper has presumably come from her offices at Her Majesty's Treasury in London. But the real reason for having the characters meet on a train is to set up the ultimate meet-cute, echoing scenes from cinema history, most significantly Hitchcock's North by Northwest, where Cary Grant's advertising executive, falsely identified as a spy, makes the acquaintance of Ava Marie Saint's mysterious blonde, who turns out to be the real spy. Perhaps more than any other filmmaker, Hitchcock exploited the possibility that we may find romance and danger when meeting a stranger on a train. The Bond series has kept these possibilities and associations with sleeper trains alive for decades, long after it ceased to make logical sense for Bond to choose a train over a plane. I would love to be able to report that our overnight journey to Scotland was as rich an incident as a Fleming thriller, that my husband and me faced off foes augmented with metal, or had an altercation with a fellow passenger after they committed a faux pas by ordering the wrong wine. I would love to be able to tell you that, in the Grand Bond tradition, we found the whole experience of sleeping on a train so much of an aphrodisiac 
that we couldn't take our hands off each other, spending the majority of the journey in a state of conjoined conjugal bliss. But this would have meant working around the constraint of being in bunk beds. And when two men, both nearly six feet tall, are expending so much of their vital energies on trying hard not to bang their heads on the bed or ceiling above, they don't have sufficient energy left for anything else. We pulled into Edinburgh Waverley Station not long after dawn, feeling mostly refreshed and ready to explore a city we had not visited for more than a decade. No passport control, no security checks. We just stepped onto the platform, found the exit and walked the five minutes or so to our hotel, where we dropped our bags and then headed out. Bond films always show us life with the boring bits cut out. This includes the travails of travel by airline. Most of the occasions where Bond does fly, we cut from the plane taking off to him arriving at his destination. But when he takes the train, it's different. Across the Bond series as a whole, we spend significant amounts of screen time experiencing train travel with him. Perhaps we should paraphrase the Jack London quote used as Bond's epitaph here. I shall not waste my days in trying to make all of my toiletries under 100 millilitres fit into the small plastic bag thingy and then wait around in a soulless departure lounge. I shall use my time and take the train instead. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Licensed to Queer podcast. If you would like to find out more about the Caledonian Sleeper, and it's worth saying right here, this is not an advert. We bought our tickets and did not receive any upgrades or anything else gratis. But if you want to find out about the Caledonian Sleeper, you can go to www.sleeper.scot and you can see the routes. Although we took it from London Euston to Edinburgh, it does also run to other parts of Scotland without going into in too much detail. It's all there on the website. Uh, the train splits at some point during the night and goes to different destinations within Scotland. And so that will be fun to do sometime perhaps. Um, yep, you can find out all that information on their website and book your tickets. Really recommend the experience. The return journey, which I haven't even written about here, was just as good. Uh, in fact, we got probably more sleep on the way back. Um, that was partly because we were exhausted from spending two very exciting days in Edinburgh. Uh, but uh, yeah, really recommended. Um, if you um, have never done a sleep train before, it's probably a good way of experiencing it for the first time, which is not to say our other two experiences haven't been. Um, but yeah, definitely something that I would recommend. Until the next time, take care everyone.